This message was presented at the GYC to the end in Houston, Texas. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. I don't know why I want to get up here and say happy Sabbath. That just was what came to mind when I stand up. The starting GYC on Sabbath has thrown me off a little bit. But anyway, it's been such a such a blessing. So this morning we're going to talk more about heart preparation um, for prayer ministry and just really how to to, prayer, uh, to prepare to have an effective prayer ministry. And um, so let's bow our heads for a word of prayer before we begin. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much um, for the privilege of prayer. We thank you that we can come into your presence, and you are here. And as we gather together um, in a group, you tell us when two or three are gathered together, you're in their midst. And so we claim that promise as well, and we thank you for this. Right now, um, as I share, I just ask um, for your wisdom, for your Holy Spirit, to give me your words, and that you would truly hide, hide me behind your cross, that you would be exalted, and that our hearts would be touched, Father, as the Holy Spirit convicts us and draws us closer to you. This is what we pray in your precious name. Amen. So preparing for a tsunami of blessings. Some of you are probably, maybe you've even heard the story. I just love the story I've shared a number of times, but it's about a group of explorers um, back in the early 1800s that were traveling through Africa, and they were making their maps of the territory and just scouting out the land. Um, But something unique happened during this time. Uh, Each day they would come back to their to their camp and, you know, they had a camp set up and they'd build a campfire and cook their food and all these different things. Um, and then, you know, go to bed and then the next morning they get up and do the same thing again. Um, but after a few days they came back and they started, started noticing around the camp were little, little stacks of fire wood, like someone was trying to build a fire. And they couldn't figure out initially what was going on. It was very strange. They'd come back and there'd be more little stacks around the camp. Like someone's trying to start a fire, but they couldn't figure out why. Um, but after a few days, they realized, you know, there's monkeys all around and the trees and they were watching them. So each day, uh, as they were building their campfire and cooking their food, the monkeys had been watching them. And they decided, we want to start a fire too. <laughs> so they put the stacks together. But they couldn't start a fire. There's something missing, right? This is a true story. This really, really happened. Anyway, um, I love to share this story because I think it really illustrates what often is the problem in our church. We are very good at building a form of godliness. You know, we we see such and such happening. We're like, oh, I'm going to do that too. You know, and put it all together. But it's often the form without the power of the Holy Spirit. It's done through our own strength um, without God. And so that's what I want to challenge us this morning as we're beginning the seminar. What are the ways in our life? And this is something you just have to ask, you know, you and the Lord. You know, Psalms 139, 23, and 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me. That's right. And so we need to be praying and asking the Lord, you know, because we all have these areas where there's, there's a little struggle. There's a little bit, um, of discrepancy between what God is calling us to do and what the word, um, what the word and and the Holy Spirit is calling us to do and what we actually do. Um, a, a form of godliness, we're actually told in the Bible, I believe the form of godliness is the most popular religion at the end of time. And I get that from Second Timothy 3, 1 through 5. It talks about in the last days what we're going to see. And we see all these things happening right now. This is the attitude and the spirit um, that, that we have here in the last days. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power from such turn away. 
Um, Carl Bates, former president of the Southern Baptist Convention, said, if God were to take the Holy Spirit out of our midst today, think about this. This is really serious to consider. 95% of what we are doing in our churches would go on. And we would not even know the difference. Yet if God had taken the Holy Spirit out of the midst of the first Christian community, about 95% of what they were doing would have ceased immediately. Lord, have mercy upon us for working in our own strength and thinking that we are working in his. You know, over and over, Ellen White talks about our desperate need of the Holy Spirit. And you know, it's, it's because this topic is little thought upon and little contemplated that we see so much drought and dryness in our church today. Um, the Holy Spirit, when it comes, it brings all other blessings um, in store, in train with it. I love this quote from Review and Herald. The descent of the Holy Spirit upon the church is looked forward to as in the future, but it is the privilege of the church to have it tomorrow. Is that what it says? It says now. That's right. It's the privilege of the church to have it now. Seek for it. Pray for it. Believe for it. We must have it. And heaven is waiting to bestow it. This is a gift God has given us. And I love what Pastor Gary said um, in the message on Sabbath about Acts 1-8 and the Holy Spirit. Um, it's not something we achieve, it's something we receive. Um, but there's something necessary that has to happen before we receive it. We desperately need the Holy Spirit. Is receiving the Holy Spirit outpouring our greatest need? Well, for the sake of what I'm sharing this morning, I'm going to say, yes, it really is. But I think something has to come even before we can receive this. So we're going to talk about this. What hinders the Holy Spirit filling in our life? Often it's those private things, those private sins, those private um, compromises that we hold on to. You know, we live in a world of spiritual devastation. All around us we see homes falling apart, marriages falling apart, um, churches falling apart. Um, All these things are going on. But God tells us in his word, Isaiah 58, 12, that we're to be the restore of the breach. So that is our purpose as Christians, um, to be the restore of the breach, to stand in the gap on behalf of those in the world and those around us. But the problem is, and you may have, you may have heard me share this before, but we need to be reminded we cannot stand in the breaches on behalf of others. We cannot stand in the breach on behalf of others, oftentimes because there's so much breach in our own life. Um, we are not strong. We are not spiritually fortified as we should be. And there's a lot more that I could share on this topic, um, but I'm not going to go into this in great detail. But look at this quote from Education. A friend shared this with me a little while back. and It's just very sobering. Many would shrink with horror from some great transgression. Many who would shrink from horror, with horror from some great transgression are led to look upon sin in little matters as of trifling consequence. You know, this really isn't a big deal. But these little, and I call them respectable sins, are the sins that eat out the life and the godliness of the soul. These little respectable sins. And we say, well, you know, I could give you some, uh, some examples. <laughs> respectable sins that we struggle with. Attitudes. Um, things in our heart. Um, unforgiveness. A critical spirit. A judgmental spirit. Envy. Um, even anxiety. If we look in the word of God, God's word actually speaks against each one of these things. But we think, well... You know, how can we really speak against this? Because everyone struggles with these things. You struggle, I struggle. This is just the way it is, normal Christianity. But this is not the way that it's supposed to be according to the word of God. We have fallen so low. We have accepted our spiritual sensitivities, I believe, have become numb to what the standard that God has for us. 
I don't remember the exact quote. You might remember um, the reference, but uh, inspiration tells us the the ideal, God's ideal is higher than the highest human thought. His ideal for us is so much higher. But we have settled. We have settled in the culture um, of compromise. And so we need to ask and we need to plead and pray that God will help us to become strong and fortified Christians so that we can stand in the gap, so that we can be the effective intercessors on behalf of others that God is asking us um, to be. The life you live in private determines the ministry that you can have in public. And this is so, so true. You know, if, if we do not have victory in our personal life, if we are not walking with God and depending upon him, if it's just self, you know, we can get up and we can put on a good show, but it's not going to be truly effective for the glory of God. It's not going to bear the fruit that we long to see. And the Holy Spirit knows the difference. You know, we can't lie to the Holy Spirit. We can't, you know, fool the Holy Spirit. I can fool you. You know, I can get up here and do whatever, but I can't fool the Holy Spirit. And there is such a difference, um, and there will be such a difference if there is that known, um, that known cherished sin or compromise that we're holding on to. We're all sinners in need of a savior. Okay. I'm not saying I'm up here, the standard of perfection. I'm not, I have struggles just like all of you. And I'm continually going back to the foot of the cross. Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for that attitude. I was just thinking something a little bit ago, and I'm like, Lord, forgive me. I should not be thinking that. You know, we have these propensities and these tendencies, but as we continually are walking forward, and as we're continually focusing on Christ, we can get so bogged down focusing on our ourselves and our issues. If you knew all the issues, you know, we can get really depressed. And God doesn't want us to do that either. He wants us to be aware because if we're not aware, he can't save us if we don't recognize our need. And so that's why I bring some of these things forward because we need to evaluate what is the fruit. We need to evaluate um, what is happening. Um, and as we evaluate, then we recognize our desperate need of Christ. And Ellen White actually says the closer we come to Christ, the more faulty we are going to appear in our own eyes. That's because we recognize the glory of God and we recognize how far we fall um, from that standard and that glory. Um, so that's why I share these things. But, but we are on a journey sanctification, uh, the journey of a lifetime, and we must keep going forward and looking to Christ. As we behold him, we are changed. So what kind of fruit does our life bear? You know, if people are are looking at our life, if people saw the life that we lived behind the scenes, would they say, I want to be a Christian like him? I mean, he's an example. I see Jesus in him. I want to be like that because he points me to Jesus. So she points me to Jesus. I think we should be um, asking, asking that we have to continually, um, be giving God our heart. And I love the promise of Ezekiel, um, 36, 26, a new heart. Will I give you and a new spirit? Um, will I put within you and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and I will give you a heart, a heart of flesh. Uh, Jim shared the quote the other, uh, the other day when you were sharing, Lord, take my heart. I cannot give it. It's, it's your property. Keep it for me. Save me in spite of myself, my weak, unchristlike self. You feel that way? Yeah, that's, that's how we come to Christ. Lord, save me in spite of myself. And praise the Lord, he hears that prayer and he answers. What does Satan fear most? He fears that we're going to remove these things, that we're going to come to God in penitence at the foot of the cross and say, Lord, take these things, take my heart, take complete control. Because as God does that, the Holy Spirit is able to pour into our life. So I'm talking about in this seminar, preparing for a tsunami of blessings in prayer ministry. And we're talking uh, about the need of the Holy Spirit. What is our greatest need? But before we can receive that, um, there has to be clearance of those obstructions and things that get in the way. So is removing all our spiritual breaches our greatest need? This is a great need. 
but I think there is even more. You know, we live in a culture of wilderness Christianity. We've been talking about that. We know that we need a revival of godliness. In fact, let's look at this quote from last day events. Ellen White writes, a revival of true godliness among us is the greatest and most urgent of all our needs. To seek this should be our second work, third work, first work. I know you've seen this before, but this is good to be reminded again. This should be our first work. There must be an earnest effort to obtain the blessing of the Lord, not because God is not willing to bestow his blessing upon us, but because we are unprepared to receive it. So is experiencing personal revival and reformation our greatest need? It's kind of what it sounded like by what she just said. I think there's something more that needs to come, though, before we're going to experience revival and reformation. Now, as we look at the Word of God, we actually see that faith is one of the most emphasized gifts in all of Scripture. We say, we see we walk by faith, we live by faith, we overcome by faith, victorious in faith, all these different things, saved um, by, uh, by, Grace through faith. This is one of the most emphasized gifts. And Ellen White makes this statement. The greatest, our greatest need today is an increase of faith. We need an increase of faith. We need to, to really see and understand the God that we serve is who he says he is. This isn't just, you know, yeah, we've, it's, it's difficult sometimes, I think, when we, we grow up, um, with understanding certain things, or uh, we've read about it all our life or, or different things. We tend to take the word of God for granted, but God's word really is true. How do we get faith strengthened? The word of God says, right? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So if you're struggling in this area of faith, Get into the Word of God. Start writing down those promises. And so, in fact, something, um, I'll probably talk more about this this afternoon, but something that has helped me so much in my life is making um, this, this promise notebook. It's promises that God has given me. It's quotes from the spirit of prophecy. And they all have to, have to do with prayer and faith and claiming the word of God and why God's going to fulfill his word. And so when I'm struggling with issues in my life, personal things that I'm needing God to give me victory in or attitudes that I, you know, I'm struggling with when something um, is hurtful in my life. We have the tendency to, to, you know, have our little pity parties and feel sorry for ourselves and go down roads that we shouldn't go on. And we have to continually be going back to the word of God. Lord, make me like you. Change me. Forgive me. Give me your heart. Give me your eyes. Help me not to see the people that hurt me, but help me to see the cross above them. We have to continually be going back to the word of God. And so something I'm just sharing my own personal experience has made a huge difference in my life is just this notebook that I've put together of, of promises and quotes from the spirit of prophecy. And I'm continually going back to the same ones. They don't wear out. They're good. They're good yesterday. They're good today. They're good tomorrow. And that has built my faith and encouraged my faith. You know, um, we have the tendency in our Christian walk to tend to follow our feelings instead of faith. I don't feel like he's near. I don't feel like he's really capable of answering. I don't feel. But we have to follow the facts of God's word not our feelings, because our feelings are always going to betray us. The word of God does not betray us. So how do we grow faith? We need to get in the word, memorize the word, saturate our mind with the word, um, pour our heart into the word. And as we do, we are changed. Something else, though, that really will help grow our faith And you know what that is? That is reflecting upon lives and stories of faith. You know how encouraging it is when you read a story about a miracle or something that God has done in someone else's life? For example, maybe, um, maybe some of you have read the book One Miracle After Another, the Pavel Goya story. Anybody read that book? How totally inspiring 
This is to see what God did in this man's life and what he continues to do. Um, just incredible. Some of you probably heard of the book, A Thousand Shall Fall. That's one of my favorite stories as well. Um, seeing how God delivered this family, um, during the Hitler regime in, in Germany, Nazi regime. Another, um, the story of Desmond Doss and what God did in his life. Um, just beautiful. When we see what God has done in the lives of others, of course, we have it in his word. And so we, this, this really is enough, right? We see what he did with the children of Israel and how he brought them through the Red Sea and all these different things. But how helpful when we see something that's happened in our day or in recent times, we serve the God that's still the same, right? He has not changed. So, um, he's asking us to have faith. Our greatest need today is an increase of faith. Now, you know, I don't have to tell you, this is not news to you, that we're in a crisis right now. We're in a crisis in our world. We're in a crisis in our homes. We are in a crisis in our world, and we are in a crisis in our church. And if ever there was a time that we need to start exercising faith, And being in God's word, it's now. I want to share an encouraging quote that's really uh, inspired me um, about the life of Elijah. It was because Elijah was a man of large faith that God could use him in the grave crisis that was facing the history of Israel. As he prayed, his faith reached out and grasped the promises of heaven. And he persevered in prayer until his petitions were answered. He did not wait for the full evidence that God had heard him, but was willing to venture all on the slightest token of divine favor. And yet what he was enabled to do under God, all may do in their sphere of activity in God's service. Faith such as this is needed in the world today. Faith that will lay hold on the promises of God's word. We lay hold and we will not let go until heaven hears. God's word is trustworthy. It's true. We're told his word is forever settled in heaven. Psalms 119.89. We're told uh, in Isaiah 55.11, his word does not return unto him void. Now, I know these are not new. You've heard these things before, but I just want you to think about that situation in your own life or your own walk. What is that situation right now that you are up against in your own life? It might be um, a work-related situation, a ministry-related situation, maybe even an interpersonal or relationship situation, but something in your life that you're probably struggling with right now And you're like, yeah, but, I mean, yes, he's been faithful in the past, and I see how he's done this, but my problem, my situation, it's the exception to the rule. You know, I'm not sure if God's going to come through. I want to encourage you guys today. God is going to come through. Now, this doesn't mean he's going to come through in the way you think he should. He doesn't always come through um, in the way we think. Oftentimes, um, he has a different plan. But I've seen in my own life, it's a better plan. Sometimes it's hard when you're in the middle. Did I lose my microphone? When you're in the middle and you cannot see. Testing. Is it still here? Okay, well, just leave that right here just in case I need it. You can just put it on mute. So it's, it's difficult if you're in the middle of a situation and you can't actually see the end of the story. You can't see the end of the picture. You can't see the end of the crisis. But God will come through if we hold on. So we're talking about what is our greatest need, preparing for a tsunami of blessings in prayer ministry. Uh, I've, I've already shared uh, my testimony. I shared some of my testimony yesterday, um, and I talked about my experience growing up in the church and staying in the church, being faithful in the church, but struggling. 
um, didn't really see a lot of life in, in the church, at least where I grew up. It was, it felt very dry and, and cold and it was a struggle, but I stayed, praise the Lord, um, godly mentors and parents that faithfully prayed and taught me what it meant to have an authentic walk with God. Um, and I gave my life to God at a young age and, and went into service and ministry. And as I shared yesterday, um, about the battle with pride, uh, and, and doing all these good things for God and not like it was this outright arrogant, like I'm better than you thing, but this subtle pride, the subtle spiritual pride that I struggled with. And I didn't share this quote yesterday. I wanted to share it today. And so that's why I'm saving it for now. Oh, well, actually this isn't the quote. It'll come here in a second. But in, um, in Revelation three, we see God describing a people of the last days. It's the church of Laodicea describing these people of Revelation three. This is what Ellen White writes. Here is represented a people who pride themselves in their possession of spiritual knowledge and advantages, but they have not responded to the unmerited blessings that God has bestowed upon them. They have been satisfied to sink down in contentment and ingratitude and hollow formalism. Christ cannot take up the names of those who are satisfied in their own sufficiency. He cannot importune in behalf of people who feel no need of his help, who claim to know and possess everything. Um, here, here's the quote that I wanted to share yesterday that I didn't share that just really brings this whole pride issue home. Um, such a huge issue. We struggle with pride, but we think, well, everyone struggles, you know? There's worse issues than this, okay? That's what I think sometimes we think. However trifling this or that wrong act may seem in the eyes of men, no sin is small in the sight of God. Man's judgment is partial, imperfect, but God estimates all things as they really are. The drunkard is despised and told that his sin will exclude him from heaven, while pride, selfishness, and covetousness too often go unrebuked. But these are sins that are especially offensive to God, for they are contrary to the benevolence of his character, to the unselfish love, which is the very atmosphere of the unfallen universe. He who falls into some of the grosser sins may feel a sense of his shame and poverty and his need of the grace of Christ. But this is the clincher. Pride feels no need. And so it closes the heart against Christ and the infinite blessings that he came to give. Our only claim to his mercy is our great need. Our great need. And we have a problem, especially when we grow up in the culture of the church. We're rich and increased with goods. We're rich in spiritual knowledge. You know, how many Bible verses have you memorized? You know, how many do you know? Shall we get into a competition and, and, you know, (laughs) no, but we have our little personal subtle arrogance going on. You know, like I'm doing this. I've memorized the whole book of Matthew. Isn't that really amazing? How many of you have done that? (laughs) I haven't done that Bible, by the way, (laughs) my brother's done that, but I haven't done that, but we have our little subtle. It's subtle. That's the thing I'm talking about is a subtle spiritual pride that eats away the godliness of the soul. We're rich and increased with knowledge. Um, we have to be stripped of our self-sufficiency. We have to be um, completely stripped of self and pride and surrender to Christ um, before he can use us as 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 he desires, as he longs to. You know, often we want a painless Pentecost. Um, We want to be full, free, fruitful in our lives without getting to the cross, without being broken. To be broken is the beginning of revival. It is painful. It is humiliating. It is the only way. You know, yesterday, Jim and I shared a little bit of our testimonies and some of the journeys that God has taken us on um, and ways that we have been broken and we are still being broken. And this is a journey that we're on. And, you know, um, I think I was reading this in Oswald Chambers just within the last week or two. If God has to break our hearts to bring us to the foot of the cross, to show us our great need, to use us, then thank him for breaking your heart. 
let that brokenness push you to the cross to recognize your great need. What, what keeps us though from being broken? Can you tell me what it is? It's pride. Exactly. Pride is what keeps us from being broken. Christ Object Lessons has this very encouraging quote (laughs) on the topic of pride. There's nothing so offensive to God or so dangerous to the human soul as pride and self-sufficiency. Of all the sins, it is the most hopeless, the most incurable. Wow. The most hopeless, the most incurable. You know, you may look at these things and, and think, oh, you know, I really struggle with pride. I don't even know where to begin. I praise the Lord that it was what, what is hopeless and seems like the end for us. God is able. He is able uh, to heal. He is able to pull us through. And I praise him for that. But I've been talking about these different things um, this morning. And I'm going to let you talk here in just a moment, Jim. Um, you know, about our need for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, our need for deeper revival and reformation, our need to remove spiritual breaches and have personal victory in our life. We are never going to experience these things until we are broken and we are daily being broken at the foot of the cross and recognizing our desperate, desperate spiritual need. Now, this brings us back to what I started with. You know, I, I said in the beginning, you know, is our greatest need the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? It, it really is. We are helpless without the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I brought you through the whole process of the fact, you know, but are we going to receive the Holy Spirit if we don't recognize our need? We have to recognize our need. But you know what? Who shows us our need? The Holy Spirit. We would not recognize our need if the Holy Spirit did not show it to us. So praise the Lord for this gift that he gives us that draws us to himself, to, to him, that draws us to himself. It's been so inspiring for me and so encouraging for me, um, working in prayer ministry and traveling to different places around the world and recognizing, seeing with my own eyes how God is bringing people together in brokenness and desperate need. Now, let me just share here just a quick word on brokenness. Brokenness does not mean that you're a weepy, necessarily emotional person, always the one that's, you know, making a big weeping mess when we have our prayer times and different things. Oftentimes when the Holy Spirit's convicting us, tears are going to come and that's good. But that's not what true brokenness is. Brokenness, true brokenness is not something that comes as relating, uh, as a response to some tragic event or something like that. Yes, we are broken in those situations and those broken times often do push us to the cross. But true brokenness, spiritual brokenness, the brokenness that I'm talking about today is actually um, the brokenness that recognizes my true condition in light of who God is. And as we recognize we fall on our knees like the, um, like the publican and say, Lord, be merciful to me. Be merciful to me, a sinner. I mean, like, I don't know how you can use me. Do you, because he sees brokenness is not false humility. It's like, well, it, you know, I, it wasn't really, you know, we, we sometimes say things with the intent maybe to deflect glory to God and not take the credit. But inside, we're still taking credit. You know, like um, people praise you, and this is a very difficult thing, especially when you're in ministry and especially when you, you see success in ministry because we want to take it to ourselves. And we're like, well, it was really the Lord. It was really the Lord. Yeah, but it's a good thing he has me on his team, huh? You know, it's a good thing, you know, we have these little subtle things. And that's what I'm trying to get at with this whole preparation for a tsunami of blessings and prayer ministry is it's the heart. Where is the heart? The motive of the heart. Do we recognize God's word says our heart are deceitful and desperately wicked? Do we recognize the deplorable condition of our heart? I don't care if you've been a Seventh-day Adventist your entire life. I don't care if you're a five-generation Seventh-day Adventist or you do this and you do that. Do you recognize your condition? 
Do you recognize your great need? And this does not just happen once when we give our life to Christ. It's a continual brokenness back to the foot of the cross again and again and again. And it's been beautiful, like I'm saying, seeing what God is doing as he is um, breaking his people around the world. This group right here, um, Jim may share a little bit more on this, but this is a group from the Philippines. Um, have had the privilege to work with Philippines Youth for Christ um, the last couple years. And I heard about the amazing things that God was doing. Leading up to their conference, they had like 100 days of prayer. And when I arrived there in the Philippines for the conference, I could tell the spirit of the Lord was there. And I went, I went to the prayer meeting, um, at five o'clock in the morning. It was five o'clock in the morning, not six. And I was amazed because there were like already close to 400 young people there. And they're just earnestly, if you just hear the prayers, you, you see their hearts. Well, praise the Lord. When I first went there and experienced this, what's happening here at GYC I had not seen yet. And so I praise the Lord that he's doing the same thing here and not just here, but in many other places around the world and throughout Asia and Africa and different places. He is bringing his people together to the foot of the cross, China. And it's just beautiful to see. There's no limit to the usefulness of one who putting self aside makes room for the working of the Holy Spirit and lives a life wholly consecrated to God. God is calling us to continual brokenness. We're told in Isaiah 57, Verse 15, there's only two places where he dwells. Two places where he dwells. One is in the high and holy place, and one is in the broken, contrite heart. And that's a spiritual brokenness. And God's just bringing something else to my mind as I'm saying this too. So I don't know that I should have made that blanket statement because he also tells us that he inhabits the praises of his people. He dwells in the spirit of praise and worship and adoration. So these are heart attitudes and conditions where God meets us, but brokenness is part of it. So this is part of it. This is the heart preparation that prepares us for a tsunami of blessings, brokenness. I shared yesterday about going to the um, general conference and coming in to pray at three o'clock in the morning, our prayer team would come in. And one of the first things we did when we came in in the morning, um, we went to the basement. There's this beautiful mural there where you can say, see the, um, the narrow way painted with Jesus there. And we would just get on our knees and just consecrate ourselves to God and ask and make sure there's nothing between us as a team or, or nothing going on that would inhibit the power of the Holy Spirit. Because, you know, we can spend three hours or four hours walking through this building, praying for the church and praying for the leaders. But is God, is the Holy Spirit going to bless if there's variance between us or if there's something going on? I remember one morning there was um, uh, something that happened uh, between a couple members on the team and there was some hurt feelings over something. And you have to understand, we were, I shared this story yesterday, <clears throat> so I'm sorry I'm not sharing the whole story right now, but we were, we were taking 21 days to fast and pray on behalf of our church at, at the world headquarters. And there's a group of us, of us living in a house all together. And of course, you know, we're in tight quarters, so there's going to be some interaction and some rubbing um, each other. And so there was some interpersonal stuff not huge, but just little things between us. And so I remember starting one morning and we recognized this and we sat down on the floor and I think we talked and prayed for probably an hour clearing that before we had peace again. And then we went forward. It's not about covering ground. It's not about checking something off a checklist. It's not about any of this. It's about the heart. Um, it's about the heart preparation behind. So at this time I'm going to let, um, Jim share for, a few minutes. Save me. Save me a few minutes at the end. You have to stop me, Mel. Okay, so Melody shared about uh, the prayer session that happened in the Philippines. And uh, since Melody went there, I remember first, first day when, when Melody arrived, it is prior to, to the start of, uh, of the event, the group of young people gathered together. It was like 40 or 50 young people who gathered. And Melody was already weeping. He said, Jem, the conference has not even started yet. And I'm already bawling in tears. I don't know what to expect for the next, for the next few days. And after that experience, Melody said, Jem, we need to see this in GYC. So we prayed and prayed. And by God's grace, the door opened up and, 
And the prayer ministry right now in GYC is, is full on. And uh, I remember one time when I was asked to present uh, the promo for, for the prayer room. And I stood there and I presented. This was in GYC. This was in, uh, in Houston two years ago. And you know what? Before GYC, what is the event? Christmas. So I was with my friends back in, uh, in another state. And you know what? When Filipinos celebrate Christmas, they celebrate Christmas. So I did not even know that, uh, that my mindset was somehow distracted. I was disturbed. And while I was presenting, and this is one good thing about me and my sister, we are, we are straightforward with one another and we could notice each other's uh, weakness and, uh, and somehow we remind each other. So after the promotion during that night, went back to bed and uh, I'm thinking I'll have a good, a good night's rest so my heart will be prepared, my mind will be prepared in the morning. So I woke up at around 4 o'clock in the morning for the 6 o'clock preparation. And when I, no, actually, I was awakened by God at 3 in the morning. And the first thing that I saw was Melody's text. He says, it says here, Jem, I love you and I'm concerned. I'm praying for you. I'm not sure what is going on in your heart right now. But my friend and I both felt that last night's prayer room invitation from the stage didn't seem to carry the normal convicting Holy Spirit punch and power that usually comes when you get up and speak. Again, I have no idea what's going on, but we are praying for you. This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity with GYC. So, with so much prayer emphasis, we can blow this opportunity for all these young people, praying that God really helps us and that, and that the enemy is allowed no foothold that might spoil this important work. Friends, when I saw this text message, I just broke down. And I'm thinking, Lord, please help me not to be the source of the ruin of this event. And friends, when I felt that accountability, when I saw myself being the source of, of the destruction of this thing that we have been praying for, I broke down and said, Lord, please cleanse me. Whatever it is that the enemy put in my head during those, those times, during Christmas, please cleanse me from all that. I broke down. And friends, this is one amazing thing to be broken. <laughs> because when we are broken, self gets taken out and the Holy Spirit could fill in. And friends, that was, that was two years ago. And our prayer room was like only one third of the size of this, of this whole ballroom right now. And uh, as, as our sister, Michelle said, said, Jem, a few years ago, it was like pulling teeth to bring people to the prayer room. So we were praying and praying, and the Lord filled in the prayer room. The first day, it was like more than 200, and we were already very happy. And then the next day, it was like more than 300. And then on Sabbath, it was more than 400 people who came in. And that was already mind-blowing for us. And then the next year, when 2017, it was in, in Phoenix, and I now know that preparation is very, very important. And sometimes people will tell me, Jem, you are so effective in, in leading out people in prayer. You have the gift. I tell them, you just don't know. It's not us. Actually, I could ruin the whole prayer session. Do you believe this? If my heart is not prepared, you know what, my dear friends, Jem is not the key to an effective prayer session. Melody is not the key. We could ruin the prayer session if our heart is not right with God. So right, you know what, friends, last year when we had Pathways to Health in preparation for, for GYC, and I already signed up for, for GYC, and my friend encouraged me, sign up for, for Pathways to Health. I did not know what I was going into. And and another director asked me to be prayer coordinator for Pathways to Health. And I was thinking, okay, maybe this, this, could, this could work. Friends, we, in Pathways to Health, the prayer room opens in eight hours, like the whole day. And I was supposed to lead out an every morning devotional. And I switched my alarm because their, their devotional starts at eight. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll wake up at five. 
The Lord woke me up, friends, and it is always useful to tell the Lord, Lord, be my alarm clock. And the Lord woke me up at 2.15 in the morning. So, and when I woke up at 2.15, you know it's the Lord that wakes you up. It's not, it's not the noise. It's not the bathroom break. It's not anything. God just woke me up and I could not go back to bed. And friends, the moment I spend that time with God for heart preparation, it was amazing. And the next day, the Lord gave me a grace, a one-minute grace. The Lord woke me at 2.16. <laughs> and the next day, the Lord woke me, guess what time? 2.17. And when GYC came, GYC, I was already exhausted from, from uh, Pathways to Health. When GYC happened... You know what? The Lord woke me up. What time? No, it was 12.56. <laughs> and I could not go back to bed. And I'm thinking, Lord, what is happening? I will not be able to function for the rest of the day if I will not be able to get a few nights sleep. But my dear friends, you know why? The Lord saw that I still have a lot of self to be emptied out. It's not that I'm a very, very prayerful person that I have to wake up at 12.30, 12.56. No, it's because there is a lot of self that needs to be broken, that needs to be squeezed out, that needs to be emptied out. That's why it takes the Lord a long time for me to be prepared. And when that happened, my dear friends, I remember praying to the Lord, Lord, what do you want to tell me this morning? And when the Lord convicted my heart, prepare because I will fill in the prayer room. And our prayer room was like twice the size. It's like half the size of this hall right now. And I'm thinking, how are we going to fill this, Lord? And we remembered and when I was kneeling down at around, around 5.55 and there were just like 30 people. I looked up to the Lord and said, fill in, huh? <laughs> but when we began singing, friends, people just flocked. I begin to realize that the Lord could not pour out His blessing if the heart is not right, if the heart is not prepared. This is why that is very, very important in every ministry, my dear friends, in leading out a prayer session. Friends, I'll be reading, I'll be reading and, and singing before God, and I'm not even prepared for the devotion that I'm going to give that morning because once I, I read this, I said, Lord, is this the right devotion? And the Lord will not give me peace. The Lord just wanted me to spend time with Him. And every, every section, every devotion, the Lord just feed the right words, the right thoughts, the right quotes. God is just so amazing, my dear friends. And this is one thing that I realize right now, that I could not lead out in front of God's people without him. If just left to me, to Melody, or to any prayer leader here, we would ruin the prayer session, my dear friends. So I just like to tell you, it's all God. When people tell me, Jem, that was a very, very powerful prayer session, praise God. Praise God, amen? You know that it's not me. You know that it's not Melody. We could ruin it. And I remember, I'll just tell this, this quick story, Mel. Mel shared this yesterday, that she had a hard time coming up with a book. And one time, Melody and I were, were in uh, ASI, ASI booth. And there's one lady who came to Melody, and she was crying, said, You are Melody Mason. She's, she's like a rock star. <laughs> and that lady, was, that lady was crying. And Melody asked, well, she asked Melody to sign her book and told Melody that, that, oh, you, you just don't know how you changed my life. So Melody prayed with her. After the lady left, Melody turned around and cried. She wept in front of me. And I don't know how to comfort her. And said, Mel, what's wrong? Said, Jem, I don't want this glory that's not supposed to be mine. This belongs to God. She just didn't know that it was not me. It's not me who wrote those books. It took me three weeks to be emptied of self. I fasted and prayed. And when the Holy Spirit took over, it was all His words. This is not my book, Jim. I even hate my name in front of this book. This is the book that belongs to God. My dear friends, 
this is how we should see every ministry, every opportunity that God has given us, all for the glory of His name. Mel? You know, as Jim is talking, um, I'm struggling just sitting here because I don't want there to be any misunderstanding. Um, you know, we say we've been battling with self. We're all battling with self. But self is not completely gone. I'm struggling with self right now, just standing here, just thinking, you know. You know, you come in and you're like, how many people are going to come to the seminar? Do they want to hear what we have to say? That's self. Who cares how many people come? You know, if the people that come get the message, if the people, God only needs a few people. It only took 10 disciples, 10 disciples in the upper room that completely fell at his feet in humility and humbled himself and Pentecost came. We don't have to have a packed prayer room for the Holy Spirit to fall. And I understand what you're saying, Jim. But at the same time, I, I have to make this caveat to what you said, because what the Holy Spirit is going to do, he's going to do in spite of us. We're not going to mess that up, but we can, I believe, mess up our ability to be used, our ability for the Holy Spirit to flow through us. So I'm not necessarily responsible for messing up your experience, but I can mess up what God wants to do through me. The Holy Spirit is going to work. God is going to work. He's going to accomplish his work, whether there are many or few. And actually, we're told in the word of God that the true message, the true disciples and following, it's the least. It's the smallest. So it's not about popularities. It's not about numbers. It's not about, you know, how many thousands of people can we get together in our prayer ministry? We're not judging our success based on the numbers. It's beautiful. It was beautiful what we saw happen in the Philippines, and it did break my heart, and it's just been beautiful seeing what God's doing in young people around the world. And I come back to the States, and I'm like, Lord, where are our young people? It's so dry. You know, we're in this rich and Laodicean. So that's why we hunger and we pray. But I know we're not the only ones that have been hungering and praying for that. Many have been hungering and praying. I praise the Lord for the, the leadership that he has brought to GYC, a group of young people that are seriously on their knees seeking um, this and seeking to make this a priority because of that. Um, God is blessing. I want to share this quote, and then I'm going to close with a video um, that I was just thinking as, as Jim was talking. Man can accomplish nothing without God, and God has arranged his plans so as to accomplish nothing in the restoration of the human race without the cooperation of the human with the divine. So let me, let me read that again. Man can accomplish nothing without God, and God has arranged his plan so as to accomplish nothing in the restoration of the human race without the cooperation of the human with the divine. But here's the important part. The part man is required to sustain is immeasurably small. How small? Immeasurably. Can we measure it? No, it's so small we can't even measure it. The part that God has given us to play is immeasurably small. Who are we? It's not up to me. It's not up to you. It's immeasurably small, but this is a beautiful part. Yet in the plan of God, it is just that part that is needed to make the work a success. What I find so humbling and breaking um, is the fact that God will use us despite the fact he sees we still have self in our heart. We're still struggling. This or that or whatever, pride, these different things. Yet he takes us. We give him and he takes us and he changes and he transforms and he's continually pulling us up higher and higher. And it's beautiful. Like, how can he do this? He does. He takes us and he will take you. You may not feel worthy, praise the Lord. 
that's the perfect place to begin because we are not worthy. Not one of us is worthy to be used of God, but he still uses us. Um, yeah, I might could share this in the next section. I think I will. I think I'll come back to that in the next section. You know, I'll just go ahead and share it here. Um, I really, I really like to challenge, I would really like to challenge you. We're here at GYC. Tomorrow's the new year. We're getting ready to start a new year. Um, I would really like to challenge you. I don't know where we are in our walk with God, but I can guarantee wherever you are, we all need a deeper experience. Doesn't matter. We need a deeper experience. I want to challenge you to really take some personal private time starting the new year. Um, for prayer and fasting, to seek a closer experience with God, a closer walk with him, a closer walk in his word. Um, God has really used this uh, to encourage my own walk in so many ways. And I have actually put together a 10-day heart challenge to begin the new year. Um, and it's just something you can meditate on and things that you can pray over. Um, but you don't have to use it, but it's something if you want to that's available. And I actually put up the Revival and Reformation website so you can see that, revivalandreformation.org. If you look up under prayer resources on the upper right, um, you can find a number of resources on prayer. We're going to talk more about this in the next session. But five specific ways to grow your walk with God this new year in that specific resource. I have a 10-day heart challenge um, that I just want to encourage you. I have a video that I want to share here um, before we close. You know, we are very great at organization. You know, we're great at pulling together methods and all these different things. And, and you're coming to this seminar um, saying, I want tools how to start a prayer ministry. I want tools, you know, how do I begin? Well, we're going to be talking about some more practical, specific things in the next two sessions, uh, dealing with um, tools to, to grow a thriving ministry. And then the next session after lunch, we'll be talking about how to not have a disastrous prayer ministry, dealing with different um, difficulties and how to relate to in prayer ministry. So we're going to give you some practical tools. But you know, the secret to effective prayer ministry is not about tools. It's not about methods. It's about the heart preparation. And that's what we've been trying to share um, this morning. Because we are great as a people at organization and work and all these different things. But I believe we need to be less about organization and more about agonizing at the foot of the cross. And that's why I want to share this video with you. I debated a little bit whether to share this video or not. Um, This is a a short clip um, of David Wilkerson um, sharing. David Wilkerson, for those of you that are not familiar with him, um, was the story, The Cross and the Switchblade, was written about him back in the 1980s. And he was ministering to drug addicts and young people on the streets of New York. And just amazing things happened as a result. He is not um, a Seventh-day Adventist. Most of you know that already. But just God gave him such an agonizing burden for souls. And he has this message. He didn't put it together. Other people put it together after he died. But it's called A Call to Anguish. So it's just a few-minute clip. Um, I'm going to pray. Um, I'm going to play for you as we begin. And I have to... Get it up here where I actually have my sound. And I look at the whole religious scene today, and all I see are the inventions and ministries of man and flesh. It's mostly powerless, it has no impact on the world. And I see more of the world coming into the church and impacting the church rather than the church impacting the world. I see the music taking over the house of God. I see entertainment taking over the house of God. An obsession with entertainment in God's house. A hatred of correction and a hatred of reproof. Nobody wants to hear it anymore. Whatever happened to anguish in the house of God? It's a word you don't hear in this pampered age. You don't hear it. Anguish means extreme pain and distress. The emotion so stirred that it becomes painful. Acute, deeply felt inner pain because of conditions about you, in you or around you. Anguish. D 
sorrow, the agony of God's heart. We've held on to our religious rhetoric and our revival talk, but we've become so passive. All true passion is born out of anguish. All true passion for Christ comes out of a baptism of anguish. You search the scripture and you'll find that when God determined to recover a ruined situation, he would share his own anguish for what God saw happening to his church and to his people. And he would find a praying man and he would take that man and literally baptize him in anguish. You find it in the book of Nehemiah. Jerusalem is in ruins. Comes. True 
joy comes out of anguish. There's nothing of the flesh will give you joy. I don't care how much money, I don't care what kind of new house there is. Absolutely nothing physical can give you joy. It's only what is accomplished by the Holy Spirit when you obey Him and take on His heart. Build the walls around your family. Build the walls around your own heart. Make you strong and impregnable against the enemy. God, that's what we desire. God, that's what we desire. Break us afresh. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we admit that we are not who you have called us to be. But Father, we praise you that you're a Savior, that you died for us, sinners. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. Father, we praise you for taking our filthy rags and covering us with your righteousness and breaking our hearts afresh with our need of you. Father, please keep us at the foot of the cross. I pray, keep us, Father, at the foot of the cross. Thank you in your precious name. Amen. This message was recorded at the GYC to the end in Houston, Texas. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org.